Hello, world. I'm Roger Corville, and this is For the Hope's Daily Audio Bible, where we read through the scriptures conversationally, talk about the truth claims of Christianity, and learn to fall more in love with Jesus and the people in his world. You ready? Let's roll. Welcome. Pop quiz. When Jesus is on trial before Pilate and later Herod, how many times was he declared innocent? And importantly, why is that a big deal? Hey, Hopeful, welcome to For the Hope's Daily Audio Bible and Happy Monday, part of our journey together where we read through every word of God's revelation of himself Monday through Saturday, do a reflection on Sunday, and try to consider our own life and work stories in light of that. The answer to the question is four. As R.T. France points out, Jesus' hearings before Pilate and Herod bring out various themes, but the two most important for the teacher are the innocence and righteousness of Jesus and the fulfillment of prophecy. My friends, why did Jesus need to be innocent? Because not only was part of prophecy that he would be the great king, he ended up also being the ultimate perfect, clean sacrifice, both the judge and the judged. Luke chapter 22, verse 63 is where we're going to start today. You might recall that when we left off on Saturday, we had just gotten through that emotional passage where Peter has a little, we'll call it a come to Jesus moment, where he actually denies Jesus three times. And uh, then literally the last verse we read was, And he went outside and wept bitterly. Luke 22.63 The men who were holding Jesus started mocking him and beating him. After blindfolding him, they kept asking, Prophesy, who was it that hit you? And they were saying many other blasphemous things to him. When daylight came, the elders of the people, both the chief priests and the scribes, convened and brought him before their Sanhedrin. And they said, which is kind of like their high court, and they said, If you are the Messiah, tell us. But he said to them, If I do to tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. They all asked, Are you then the Son of God? And he said to them, You say that I am. Why do we need any more testimony, they said, since we've heard it ourselves from his own mouth? Then their whole assembly rose up and brought him before Pilate. They began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation, opposing payment of taxes to Caesar, and saying that he himself is the Messiah, a king. So Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, You say so. Pilate then told the chief priests and the crowds, I find no grounds for charging this man. But they kept insisting. He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea and from Galilee, for where he started even to hear. When Pilate heard this, he asked if the man was a Galilean, and finding that he was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem during those days. Herod was very glad to see Jesus, 
For a long time, he had wanted to see him because he had heard about him and was hoping to see some miracle performed by him. So he kept asking him questions, but Jesus didn't answer him. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him, and then Herod, with his soldiers, treated him with contempt, mocked him, dressed him in bright clothing, and sent him back to Pilate. That very day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Previously, they had been enemies. Pilate called together the chief priests, the leaders, and the people and said to them, You have brought me this man as one who misleads the people, but in fact, after examining him in your your presence, I have found no grounds to charge this man with those things you accuse him of. Neither has Herod, because he sent him back to us. Clearly, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will have him whipped and then release him. Then they all cried out together, Take this man away. Release Barabbas to us. Barabbas had been thrown into prison for a rebellion that had taken place in the city and for murderer. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate addressed them again, but they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! A third time, Pilate said to them, Why? What has this man done wrong? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I'll have him whipped and then release him. But they kept up the pressure, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified, and their voices won out. So Pilate decided to grant their demand and released the one they were asking for who had been thrown into prison for rebellion and murder. But he handed Jesus over to their will. And that gets us up through chapter 23, verse 25. And by the way, when you ask the question, who killed Jesus? Remember that the Jews couldn't uh, under Roman law execute someone. Right? So you could say that the Romans did it. But here's the point that Luke just closed with. But he, meaning Pilate, handed Jesus over to their will. He's being really clear about, meaning Luke's being really clear about who, who the guilty are. All right. Turning back to our Old Testament segment, we are closing today. We're closing out. Moses' second speech, which were the specific covenant stipulations that, um, well, two parts to his second speech. One was the general covenant stipulations, beginning with the Ten Commandments, and then all of these specific covenant stipulations. Hey, easy for me to say. Stipulations. That's why we just keep it real here. And so today we pick up in chapter 25 of Deuteronomy. If there is a dispute between men, they are to go to court and the judges will hear their case. They will clear the innocent and condemn the guilty. If the guilty party deserves to be flogged, the judge will make him lie down and be flogged in his presence with the number of lashes appropriate for his crime. He may be flogged with 40 lashes, but no more. Otherwise, if he is flogged with more lashes than these, your brother will be degraded in your sight. Do not muzzle an ox while it treads out grain. And no, I don't know what that means. Um, or I should say, I'm not going to go look it up. Preserving the family line. When, when brothers live 
on the same property and one of them dies without a son, the wife of the dead man may not marry a stranger outside the family. Her brother-in-law is to take her as his wife, have sexual relations with her, and perform the duty of the brother-in-law for her. The first son she bears will carry on the name of the dead brother, so his name will not be blotted out from Israel. But if the man doesn't want to marry his sister-in-law, she is to go to the elders at the city gate and say, My brother-in-law refuses to preserve his brother's name in Israel. He isn't willing to perform the duty of a brother-in-law for me. The elders of his city will summon him and speak with him, and if he persists and says, I don't want to marry her, then his sister-in-law will go up to him in the sight of the elders, remove his sandal from his foot, and spit in his face. Then she will declare, this is what is done to a man who will not build up his brother's house, and his family name in Israel will be, quote-unquote, the house of the man whose sandal was removed. If two men are fighting with each other and the wife of one steps in to rescue her husband from the one striking him, and she puts out her hand and grabs his genitals, you're to cut off her hand, don't show any pity. Honest weights and measures. Do not have differing weights in your bag, one heavy and one light. Do not have differing dry measures in your house, a larger and a smaller. You must have a full and honest weight and a full and honest dry measure so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. For everyone who does such things and acts unfairly is detestable to the Lord your God. Revenge on the Amalekites. Remember what the Amalekites did to you on your journey after you left Egypt. They met you along the way and attacked all your stragglers from behind when you were tired and weary. They did not fear God. When the Lord your God gives you rest from all the enemies around you in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess as an inheritance, blot out the memory of Amalek under heaven. Do not forget. Giving the first fruits. When you enter... The land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, and you take possession of it and live in it? Take some of the first of all the land's produce that you harvest from the land the Lord your God is giving you, and put it in a basket. Then go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to have his name dwell, and when you come before the priest who is serving at that time, say to him, Today I declare to the Lord your God that I have entered the land the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. And then the priest will take the basket from you and place it before the altar of the Lord your God, and you are to respond by saying, in the presence of the Lord your God, and this is what the person who was supposed to say. This is a big, long quote. My father was a wandering Aramean. He went down to Egypt with a few people and resided there as an alien. There he became a great, powerful, and populous nation, but the Egyptians mistreated and oppressed us and forced us to do hard labor. So we called out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, and the Lord heard our cry and saw our misery, hardship, and oppression. Then the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, with terrifying power and with signs and wonders. He led us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. I have now brought the first of the land's produce that you, Lord, have given me. I'll just pause right there and say, I hope, my friends, when you give, when you tithe to the church, which should be the first of what we make, right? Like that. I hope that you remember that it's God that has given it to you, right? He gives you your very breath, meaning he gives you the way to produce it. Um, there you go. 
You will then place the container before the Lord your God and bow down to him. You, the Levites, and the resident aliens among you will rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God has given you and your household. The tenth in the third year, the next little subheading. When you have finished paying all the tenth of your produce in the third year, the year of the tenth, you are to give it to the Levites, resident aliens, fatherless children, and widows, so that they may eat in your towns and be satisfied. Then you will say in the presence of the Lord your God, big long quote again, I have taken the consecrated portion out of my house. I have also given it to the Levite, resident aliens, fatherless children, and widows, according to all the commands you gave me. I have not violated or forgotten your commands. I have not eaten any of it while in mourning, or removed any of it while unclean, or offered any of it for the dead. I have obeyed the Lord my God. I have done all you commanded me. Look down from your holy dwelling from heaven and bless your people, Israel, and the land you have given us as you swore to give our ancestors, a land flowing with milk and honey. Covenant summary. All right, last little piece, and this kind of wraps up and, hey, summarizes. The Lord your God is commanding you this day to follow these statutes and ordinances. Follow them carefully with all your heart and all your soul. Today you have affirmed that the Lord is your God and that you will walk in his ways, keep his statutes, commands, and ordinances, and obey him. And today the Lord has affirmed that you are his own possession as he promised you, that you are to keep all his commands, that he will elevate you to praise, fame, and glory above all the nations he has made, and that you will be a holy people to the Lord your God as he promised. And that is chapters 25 and 26 and the end of Moses' second speech. For our wisdom segment today, my friends, we are in Proverbs chapter 16, picking up in verse 10. God's verdict is on the lips of a king. His mouth should not give an unfair judgment. Honest balances and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are his concern. Wicked behavior is detestable to kings since a throne is established through righteousness. Righteous lips are a king's delight and he loves one who speaks honestly. A king's fury is a messenger of death, but a wise person appeases it. When a king's face lights up, there is life. His favor is like a cloud with spring rain. Get wisdom. How much better it is than gold. And get understanding. It is preferable to silver. The highway of the upright avoids evil. The one who guards his way protects his life. Pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. Better to be lowly of spirit with the humble than to divide plunder with the proud. The one who understands a matter finds success, and the one who trusts in the Lord will be happy. Anyone with a wise heart is called discerning, and pleasant speech increases learning. 
insight is a fountain of life for its possessor, but the discipline of fools is folly. And finally, a heart of the wise person instructs his mouth. It adds learning to his speech. And that gets us up through verse 23. And you know, my friends, I, I mean, you probably heard the, the familiar one. Pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before the fall. And you probably hear the aphorism, pride goes before a fall. That's where that comes from. But I like the one a couple, a little bit earlier, <laughs> mostly probably because it vindicates me and spending all my time and money going to school and serving in ministry instead of being a business guy. Get wisdom. How much better it is than gold. And get understanding. It is preferable to silver. I think one of the things that I have been super moved toward of late is just this level, new level of trust in what God has next. Largely because I don't know what is next. You know, I still work part-time in the business world. That's how I pay the bills. But what I come back to over and over is a tendency of my lifelong habits as a business guy to wanting to plan out the next thing instead of going, wait a minute. Can I recall the moments where I, that I can line up and accurate and remember that are what led me to here? And the answer is yes, I can. And still, it's really easy to worry about tomorrow. How am I going to retire? I don't know. How am I going to negotiate A, B, or C? And my friends, I'm, even as I'm confessing, I know it's not alone, right? You are not alone. I know the world is an uncertain place right now. And I know God wants good things for you. It doesn't mean a promise of material wealth. But what it does mean is that he promises a sense of peace. Because whatever, I don't care if you've got 50 years left to live, whatever we do in this life will pale in comparison to the amazingness of God. Lord God, I do pray for the person listening right now, Lord, that today would just be a renewal of spirit and a renewal of the peace that only comes by the power of your spirit, knowing that that we know who holds tomorrow. And that even as our 401ks take a beating or we pay $30 more at the gas pump than we did a month ago or whatever it is, Lord, that we can trust and rest in you. I love you, my friends. Amen. Amen.